All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to have everybody here and always uh, a pleasure for me to be sharing the word of God with you. Um, one thing I oh, constantly think about is the fact that our God chose to reveal himself to us. I think that's something that's so beautiful. If it was not, if he did not choose to reveal himself to us, we would not know God. And through his word, he has revealed himself to us. We see who he is. We understand who we are. We understand our need for him. And we can also understand how we can get to him, which is basically the question that the the person was asking Steve's daughter. How do I get to heaven is basically how do I get to God? And we're going to be speaking about how we can get to God today. We're going to be speaking about what Jesus did for us to be able to come to the Father. As you guys know, we're in a series in 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. And I have titled the, the message today, We Are Ambassadors for Christ. So let's jump right into it. 2 Corinthians 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Verse 13 says, for if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has reconciled to the world, reconciled, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And he ends with this phenomenal verse. I love this verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I made Ivy recognize this verse when I was sharing the gospel with her, not intentionally, but I just shared it so much with her that it almost became a joke how much I was sharing that with her. He, for our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you with grateful hearts. As we sang earlier, we praise you for what you have done. When we were dead, when we were far off, when we were your enemies. Jesus, you came and you draw us to yourself. You have made us children of God. You have forgiven us of our sins. You have justified us. And Lord, you have called us now to be ministers of the same message. You have called us to represent you as your ambassadors. 
we respond to all that you have done by living for you and by being an extension of you, Jesus, as we share your good news to the world. Lord, I pray that you may, that we may be motivated by the fear of the Lord and also compelled by the love of Jesus. That the people may see you through us and know your truth and know your love. And we ask you this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Our big idea today is as ambassadors for Christ, we are called to be motivated by the fear of the Lord and compelled by the love of God to share the gospel message of reconciliation to all. As ambassadors for Christ, we are called to be motivated by the fear of the Lord and compelled by the love of God to share the gospel message of reconciliation to all. We are ambassadors for Christ. So what's the role of an ambassador? First of all, the role of an ambassador is a high calling. An ambassador is called to be an extension of their king or their president nowadays or other leaders. They are to function in the place of a king in a foreign land. They are to function with the authority of the king in this place. So in order for them to do that effectively, number one, they have to know their king. They have to know their country. They have to understand the culture. They have to understand where they come from. And they also have to know how to communicate the views of this home country in their host country. They are to represent the values and the ideas of the king and their country. They are to share the same convictions of the king and the country. And this ambassador goes into this uh, host country and it connects with the people. It, embody, it embodies its king and connects with the people and is able to share about where they're from. So when it comes to being an ambassador, uh, Ed Stetzer, the great missiologist, said this. <laughs> we are sent with an allegiance to the king. We are sent with a message of reconciliation. And we are sent to a foreign land with a mission to complete. As Christ's ambassadors, we have a mission. We come from the king. We go and we share the message of reconciliation to this foreign land. This is our mission. This is all of our mission. We are all ambassadors for Christ. So the first couple of verses uh, uh speak about our motives. And I'm actually going to take it back a little bit, a couple of verses before that, just to get some context. Verse 9 says, We make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The judgment spoken of here is, this ju- is not the judgment for the non-believers. It's speaking specifically of the judgment for the believers, where our works are judged, where the, the, uh, the integrity of our works are uh, judged, where, 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 whether our works are done for God's glory or they're done for other reasons. So it's like if our works are presented on this stage and the judge looks at them and the, thing, the works that are pure remain and we receive rewards for them. But the works that are done for other reasons are burnt up. And they are just tossed away. So Paul wanted to be able to come before the Lord with confidence. He had a respect, a reverence, a fear of the Lord. So he wanted to be able to come and present himself and present his life as pleasing to God. And I think uh, sometimes we feel like in order for us to fear the Lord properly, properly, we have to fear for him to take everything away from us. And I don't think it has to be that way. I think about, I was thinking about my relationship with my parents. I can't get in trouble anymore just because I don't live in their house. (laughs) But I've actually matured and I have more respect for them now than I did when I was a child. But they can't, uh, 
it's the, 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 it breaks down a little bit here. But they can't do anything to me, you know? I mean, they can, but I probably... If my dad hits me, I won't hit him back. But, no, but I'm saying... But I'm just saying that there's a maturity that comes with having a fear for God that's not based on the fear of being tossed aside. We are children of God, and we will remain that because we are His. So anyway, the true character of our works is seen here. We do things for his glory. Paul was aware of his personal responsibility before the Lord. And he wanted to be obedient to Jesus. And he was also aware that judgment is judgment nonetheless. And believers do get judged for their works. But non-believers get judged in a different way. So there's still a fear that he had for them. He knew that God, uh, that Jesus had given the disciples the great commission to go make disciples of all nations, to share the good news. And he was there, and he took his time to persuade others. And I was having a, a, a conversation with, with, actually with Joshua yesterday, and we were talking about sharing the gospel. That, you know, we look at it like, a, oh, okay, I shared the gospel. But every person that I think that for God's glory I've led to him, it's been... A, a series of conversations. It's been conversations uh, speaking, uh, uh, teaching. It's been conversations uh, understanding them, being compassionate, showing love, and having discussions back and forth, talking about objections to the truth. And so it's, it's more than just, uh, I, share, I mean, we have the opportunity to share the gospel, you know, in a public place, that's great. But I think most of the time I've seen this time where it's like a, a conversation where we're reasoning with someone. And we're persuading them and pulling them and trying to draw them toward Christ. Paul also said in uh, verse 11, it says, But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So God searches the heart of men, and he knows who they are. He knows their motives. And Paul was hoping that the Corinthians were able to discern his motives here. It says in 12, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. So throughout this book, Paul has defended himself against these false accusations where people are starting to doubt his ministry and challenge his ministry. I'm not going to get too much into that. I think Keith has done a phenomenal job talking about that throughout this series. So I'm not going to get too much into that because we got a lot to talk about. And you guys usually listen very slowly when I speak. So, so I need you guys to listen a little faster. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, yeah, so anyway, so, uh, you know, the question, but the question of motive is, is, is spoke about here. While people were looking at external glory, Paul was looking at the heart. And he was able, that they would be able to boast in him because they actually came to Christ through his ministry. So he was hoping that they would see who he was. So while his ministry was being challenged for different reasons, all of these reasons were external. His appearance well, they, they challenged him because his life was suffering. They're saying he shouldn't be suffering. They challenged his ability as a speaker. But Paul was speaking to them from the heart. Verse uh, 13 says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. The term beside ourselves basically means crazy. They were accusing him of being crazy, and he was. I mean, I think about Paul, everything that he gave, everything that he suffered for the sake of the gospel was kind of crazy for me. For these people that now were rejecting him, and he would have laid down his life for them easily. All the suffering, all the shipwrecks, all the beatings, all the times he spent in jail, he was doing that. But he's saying, if I'm crazy, but for you, I am sober. He had a sober mind towards them, saying they need Jesus. So I will be crazy for God, even if they reject me, because I know you need salvation. Verse 14, it says, for the love of Christ controls us. And is this the love that God had for Paul, or is it the love that Paul had for the Corinthians? There's a discussion back and forth. But the truth is, any love that we have for others, we have because of Jesus' love for us. So it always starts there. 
says that the love of Christ controlled Paul. And the word control can be translated in other translations as compels or constrains. And it means to exercise a constraining influence to be seized with. So the example is sort of like a, a river that's flowing in a certain way and it's moving you. It's compelling you. It's constraining you and moving you towards a certain direction. Or a crowd of people that's going somewhere. Or, a, or, a, or, or, a, or traffic. That's going somewhere. We're being moved and constrained by this traffic and it's moving us a certain way. The love of Christ should constrain us and move us towards sharing the gospel with people. Paul was gripped with the love of God so much that in a sense, the love of Christ forced him to share the same love with others. And I'm not saying that it's a force and that he didn't want to. He was going with the flow but it was, he was just so moved by God's love and what he has done for him that he had to share it with other people. And it's interesting here, and I say this as a person that loves doctrine and theology, it doesn't say that Paul was compelled by doctrine. It doesn't say that he was compelled by truth. It doesn't say that he was compelled by responsibility or duty. It doesn't say that he was compelled by excitement about building a church or he doesn't, wasn't compelled by his own success. All these things are great and they are important. But the main thing that compelled Paul to preach the gospel was the love of Christ. If we're not compelled by the love of Christ, then we tend to do things and we are driven by our own glory sometimes. Or we do things in our own selfishness. Or just because of responsibility or duty. Or we do it because of our own comfort. But in order for us to be compelled by the love of God, then we have to know the love of God. In order for us to know the love of God, we have to understand all that Jesus did for us. And continue by his word to know Jesus and to know his love. As we grow in a relationship with him, we get to understand his love for us. And this compels us to want to share his love for others. So ask yourself, are you compelled by the love of God? Are you controlled, constrained by the love of God? Does it force you in a sense to share the love of Jesus with others? He also says here, because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. So for all of us that are born again, we share in the death of Jesus because Jesus died for us. We identify ourselves with him in his death. So as he died for us, since we identify himself, all of us have died. And we don't only identify ourselves with his death, but we also identify ourselves with his resurrection. Verse 15 says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Jesus died for everyone who was going to give their lives for him and every person that has trusted him for their salvation. And is, but how do we respond? We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. That's why uh, it's like in baptism. We identify ourselves in his death. We identify his life, his death, and we identify ourselves in his, in his resurrection. When, when, I, when I baptize people, I say, bury with Christ and raise in him to live a new life. The old life has passed away and everything of the past has passed away with it. Paul Tripp said about the new life and living for Jesus, he said, embedded in this phrase is a diagnostic that applies to every person who has ever lived. Paul is arguing here that the coming of a, of a, the coming of and sacrifice of Jesus were necessary because of the DNA of sin is selfishness. Sin causes me to ignore God's existence and his rightful claim on every area of my life because God is not in his rightful place in my living that is in the center of it all, I then insert myself in that place. My life becomes all about me. The borders of my concern go, very, go a little further than my concerns for me. 
I reduce my focus down to the small space of my wants, my needs, and my feelings in ways that really do shape my living. I make it all about me. The desires of my heart are gobbled up by my ease, my comfort, my pleasure, and my success. I want what I want and when I want it. And, and, when, I get, and when I get what I want, I am happy. We are naturally selfish as people. But when we come to Christ and we experience his love, when we experience his death and his resurrection, then we should no longer live for ourselves, but live for Jesus and for his glory. Just like Galatians 2.20 says, that I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now we live for his glory. This should be the heartbeat of every Christian to live a life that glorifies God. For all of us to have received eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we should constantly be asking Jesus, what do you want from me? How do you want me to live? How can I worship you? How can I serve you? So we are to be motivated by the fear of the Lord. And compelled by the love of God. Verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul did not measure up to the standard of the Corinthians physically. They looked at him merely to, through human eyes. But also, Jesus did not measure up to Paul's standard physically. Through human eyes, he just saw him as a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. And he, Jesus was basically nothing in the flesh. But when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he saw the real Jesus. He saw the Son of God. He saw the King. And he saw the Savior of the world. According to the flesh, the apostles were fishermen. They were tax tax collectors. And Paul was a religious leader. But none of that mattered after they came to Christ. Now we see people through the potential of what God wants to do in their lives. People that were born as enemies of God now can become new creations. They can now be restored. They can now be given new lives. They can now become children of God. If we regard people only according to the flesh, then this affects the way that we relate to them. Do we struggle to share Christ with certain people? Do we struggle to share Christ with people that we see maybe as too big of sinners, too big sinners? Or maybe do we struggle to share Christ that they seem like they have it all together? Do we struggle to share Christ because they're with people that already have religious beliefs? Do we put people in a certain box and these boxes determine whether we are comfortable sharing Christ with them or not? How about this? Do we struggle to share Christ with people that don't look like us? People that we don't perceive to have had this similar experience growing up. Is it harder for us to share Christ with people that have a hard life? Is it harder for us to share Christ with people that have an easier life? Sinners... The lost, the unsaved, they come in all different shapes, sizes, and tones. There are only two kind of people in this world. The ones that are born again and the ones that need to be born again. Do we feel like we are too old to share Christ with the young? Do we feel like too young to share Christ with the old? Do we feel like we're too rich to share with the poor? Too poor to share with the rich? Too black to share with the white or too white to share with the black? When we regard people according to the flesh, then we hold back what Jesus wants to do. How dare we? How dare we think that Jesus cannot use us to bring the salvation message to someone else? It has very little to do with us, and it has all to do with Jesus. How dare we limit him? This is not biblical, but yet I'm going to say something. I'm willing to bet that every single one of us struggles in one way or another with this. Mm-hmm. 
All of us. And you know what? It takes humility for us to be able to go to the Lord and be able to allow him to convict us of this. Because we don't want to see this ugliness in us. The gospel is supposed to tear down the walls of race. It's supposed to tear down the walls of different uh, uh, economic backgrounds. It's supposed to tear down the walls of politics. Christianity is all about Jews and non-Jews coming together to become one in Christ and becoming one olive tree. I mean, that, that, when I think about the fact that it's like Jew or Gentiles, like everybody else, this is a hard separation that has, that, that, that has been determined. But we're supposed to be better than that. And by the glory of God, for his glory and by his power, we can be. Because when people come to Jesus, they become new creations. They have salvation. They're going to be saved from an eternal condemnation. They have new lives. And it's not that God needs us, but we get to be part of this. We get to be used by him to share, to be an extension of him, to share the gospel with all nations. And right now in the United States, we have all nations here. So it's, and it's, it's easy for us to, to be able to find all nations. We don't have to go to the rest of the world. Amen. Uh, also, uh, Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 18, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself, uh, reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. We'll speak a little bit later on the ministry of reconciliation, but let's just look at reconciliation itself. God, through Christ, has reconciled us to himself. For those of us that have been born again, we have new life, we have been regenerated, we have been forgiven of our sins, and the love of God and the peace of God and the hope of God all come to us, and this is all from God. He has reconciled us to himself. Reconciliation means an exchange or to be brought back to favor. What we used to call it in the streets of Brooklyn, we used to call it, we squashed the beef. That's what we used to say. So two people used to come together and they used to talk it out and they used to hash it out and they used to make peace. Now, the thing is that it's different now because they had offended each other. So they would come and have to, you know, sort of give a little and take a little. But we are the ones that have offended God. God has not offended us. So the offended party has the right to make the stipulations of the reconciliation. And the way that he has done it, he said, if you come to me, if you put my faith, your faith in what I have done on the cross, and if you repent of your sins, then we can have peace. I'm calling you to myself. I want to have peace with you. Even though you're the one that offended me. We are separated by God by sin. We have become enemies of God. All of us are born enemies of God and children of wrath unless we come to Jesus. And that's the same for every person out there that does not know Christ. Let us be moved by that. We are alienated by God from sin. And because of God is a holy judge, he has to judge sin. And the reason why we need to be reconciled, like I said, is because we have offended God. We were born in this state and there's nothing that we can do uh, about it on our own. But Jesus has done everything so that we can be reconciled. We cannot come to God just by doing stuff or trying to make our good outweigh our bad. We cannot pay God off. (laughs) The truth is that we all deserve to spend eternity apart from God. But Jesus has reconciled us. And for those that don't have Christ, he wants to reconcile them. Verse 19 says, and that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So how does he reconcile the world to himself? After that, it says, not counting their trespasses against them. What separated us from God? Sin. Man has a problem, and that is sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Jesus humbled himself, became a human being, 
came down, was born as a man. He was tempted with every temptation known to man, and he lived a sinless life for us. And we'll dig deeper into this a little bit later on. But it says here in verse 18, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says, and he's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. Since he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which means this is our calling, or this is the way that we serve him, he has given all of us this calling. All of us are called to be ministers of reconciliation. So if you come in here and you're like, man, I don't know my place in the church, God already told you. He's called you to be a minister of reconciliation, to share the good news of the gospel with the lost. And he has entrusted us the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal or his invitation through us. And what is his appeal? He pleads with people to be reconciled to him. And this pleading is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of love. When people are far off and they have offended him, God is calling you, say, be reconciled to me. Come and be made new. So we're able to be motivated by the fear of the Lord, wanting to please him in all that we do. We are to be compelled by the love of God. We are to love his people and God loves his people through us as we become his hands, his feet and his mouthpiece. And we are to look at people through the hope of the gospel, understanding that they need new life and they need salvation. And God through us pleads to them, come and be reconciled. This is the heart of God. God is by nature love. God is by nature a reconciler. He is holy and righteous and he judges sin, but he is also love. Like I said earlier, he doesn't need us to do this, but we get to take part of this. We get to be an extension of who he is. It's his desire to bring people into relationship with him. Even in the Old Testament, when he led the Israelites out of Egypt, he said, you know, for, for Pharaoh to let them go so, so that they can come and tabernacle with him. And when he arranged the people, he was in the midst of them. And he set up a system of sacrifice because of their sin, to cover their sin temporarily so that they can have a relationship with him. And now through Christ, that sin is not just covered, it's totally removed. God has reconciled us to himself, and he uses us to be representatives of this reconciliation, to communicate this message to all who are lost, to all who are far, to all who are dead, that they can be forgiven, they can be found, they can be made alive, they can be redeemed, and they can have new lives through Christ. As his ambassador, we are called and used by God, and he makes his appeal through us. And this should be encouraging to us because this is saying God does it through us. It's not up to us to do it because we can't. But we make ourselves available, and there is a part where we need to prepare ourselves and know the word. But God uses us to be able to lead people. This should comfort us that it's not up to us, but Jesus doing it. There is a place where we do have to take leaps of faith. There are obstacles that we have to overcome, but it is God doing the work through us. An ambassador delivers the message. We become an extension of Christ. We become his hands and feet, and we persuade others to come to him. And where do we do this? We do this in our homes. We do this in our neighborhoods. We do this in our schools. We do this with our friends, with our families, our co-workers, and everyone that we encounter. We are called, equipped, and empowered by God to do this, to be ambassadors for him and ministers of reconciliation. 
And let's not assume the gospel. Let's not assume that anybody knows the gospel. Even one another. Let's continue to share the one gospel with one another. Even with our children as a youth pastor. Uh, when I was in New York, I saw that a lot of parents were trying to teach their kids how to live, but did not share the gospel with them. And they just assumed they knew. We can know something in our minds, and it doesn't mean that the message has caught our heart and has transformed us. So let us share the gospel, let us live the gospel, and embody the gospel. So I, I have a question for us. And we might have to be humble in order to be able to answer this honestly. If your job, job description is ambassador for Christ, and you're up for your yearly review, how's that, gonna, how's that conversation going to go? How's that conversation going to go? Do you deserve to get, uh, uh, um, I call that like a promotion? (laughs) Do you deserve to be fired? You know what's beautiful? We have a merciful, loving God that won't fire us. We have the type of boss that's going to come under us and say, hey, how can I help you to do this? How can I help you more? Let me work with you. He's patient with us, and he works, and he wants to help us. But it's going to take for us to humble ourselves before him. Think about that. It's going to take for us to put some effort into it. It's not going to happen automatically. And we become more confident the more that we become acquainted with the word of God and the gospel message. You know what? And let's encourage one another in this. Let's build one another in this also. We are entrusted the message of reconciliation. We go back to that one verse, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Probably the best gospel verse in the Bible. And I sort of see this as like behind the scenes, the technical side of salvation. Uh, I, I couldn't think of, of how, how you call it. But you know, like there's like this, this sewing thing that people do on like a... I'm killing this right now. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have even started this. Embroidery. Like embroidery. And then you look at the back and you're like, oh, oh okay. Or like a motherboard, you know? <laughs> This is the motherboard of salvation, this verse. (laughs) So for us, God the Father had Jesus, the sinless Son of God, take our sins so that we can be declared righteous. The gospel message is simple, but yet there's so much depth and richness to it that the more that I study the gospel the more I love Jesus and the more I want to live for him. It's a beautiful message. Simple, yet very deep and rich. And the truth is that many Christians do not even understand their own salvation. So we're sinners. We are born sinners and unable to do anything about it. And we are by nature children of wrath. We deserve eternity to be spent apart from God. But Jesus was sinless. Jesus was holy. And he existed in eternity past and came to earth. He was sent by the Father, humbled himself, became a human, was tempted, yet remained sinless. So in order for him to represent us, he had to be a human being and be tempted with all temptation. In order for his sacrifice to be perfect and to remain sinless, he had to be God. So this is when we talk about Jesus being 100% man and 100% God. This is why. Jesus was sinless. As, as I've heard one preacher say it, he said, the, go, what is it, the golden commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said that nobody in this world that has ever been born has ever done that for one second perfectly. Jesus, in his existence, eternity, has never not done that. To give a good perspective of how far he is from us. 
He never lied, never had a lustful thought. He was never disrespectful to his parents as a teenager. He never stole anything. He never deceived anyone. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And we've said this before today. God is righteous and must judge sin. So God cannot just ignore our sin no matter how much he loves us because that's not... He, he, he's not going to give up his righteousness just to be love, nor give up his love to be righteous. He hates sin. And the way that he dealt with our sin was by Jesus becoming the perfect sacrifice. And God poured on Jesus the penalty for our sin. The sinless son of God. So he made him who knew no sin. And he became sin. He took on our sin. Our sin was imputed to Jesus. Our sinful account was given to Jesus. And he suffered everything that we deserved. Everything that Jesus deserved to suffer on the cross is what we deserve to suffer because of our sin. And now what he does is he imputes Jesus' righteousness into us. So when sin separates us from God, now we stand before the Father clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. While Jesus took our sin on the cross and paid for it. God removed our sin, gave it to Jesus. And God's righteous judgment was poured on Jesus. And in that way, his, 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 judge, his, 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 uh, his wrath was satisfied. His righteousness was satisfied. So he was able to be the just and the justifier. Like uh, Romans chapter 3 says. Jesus takes on our sin, we take on his righteousness. Jesus took on our death and we receive eternal life. God removes our sin from us, accredited to Jesus, and the wrath of God that we deserve was poured on him. And he pours, and, and, and to us, he gives us his righteousness. Martin Luther said it like this, and he called this Martin Luther the great exchange. That is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners, wherein by a wonderful exchange, a wonderful exchange our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ, not Christ's, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. In the same manner, he has grieved and suffered in our sins and he was confounded. In the same manner, we rejoice and glory in his righteousness. Amen. God treated Jesus like if he was every sinner in order to treat us like if we were Jesus. Now we are accepted before God. And this is the love of God. This is the only way, the only way that we can have a right relationship with God. Because on our own, our own righteousness, the Bible says that our righteous acts are as filthy rags. We cannot produce righteousness on our own. We need the righteousness of Jesus in order to be accepted before God. Every single person in this world will stand before the judge. And he, they will stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus or trying to bring their own righteousness and see if that's accepted. And it won't be. J.I. Packer said... His royal master, oh, yeah. His royal master had given him a message to proclaim. His whole business before, therefore, was was to deliver that message with exact and studious faithfulness, adding nothing, altering nothing, and omitting nothing. And he was to deliver not as not as another man's bright idea needing to be beautified with the cosmetics and the high heels of fashionable learning in order to make people look at it. But as the word of God spoken in Christ's name, 
carrying Christ's authority and to be authenticated in the hearers by the convincing power of Christ's spirit. This is the message of reconciliation. We don't have to dress it up. We don't have to add to it and we don't have to take away from it. And sometimes we're prone to do so. We think that we have to do things to mess it up in order for people to be attracted to it. Or because of our own struggles, we want to take away from this and make it less. And make it more about us and what we do. When Christianity is about the Christ. Yes, there's a demand in our life. Yes, we've, we've already gone through this. We live for Jesus because of what he's done. We live for him. We glorify him. We live obedient lives to him. But as far as being accepted before the Father, you cannot be accepted on your own works. It's only through the work of Jesus on the cross. And that is the message, the beautiful gospel message. The only thing that we invested into our salvation was the sin that we needed to be saved from. And now through faith, trust, and repentance, we come to this God that desires to reconcile us to him, even though we're enemies of him. And we offend him. And now we become his forever. Now how do we respond to this? Like I said, we no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. We live lives to worship and honor him. Out of appreciation and love, we live lives to glorify him and live lives of obedience to him, dying to ourselves constantly to live for his glory. This gospel message gives us the confidence on a good day and on a bad day to stand and to come boldly before the throne of grace, accepted as his children. Not on our own works, not on, on our own merit, but on what Jesus did for him. This good news empowers me to live the righteousness that has been given to me. And part of our obedience to him is to live out our purpose as his ambassadors and to be ministers of reconciliation, to share the message of reconciliation. And we don't share this as just like a, you know, a talk to somebody. We've experienced this. We've experienced his love. And his reconciliation. So we are to share this message with the same passion that he has shown us. The same love that he has shown us. We are to be compelled and moved by the love of God for us. To share that message of love to others. Will you make yourself available to him? Will you live out your role as an ambassador for Christ? This is one of my favorite quotes. I probably shared it three times here in the times that I've preached. And it's by Charles Spurgeon. It says, if sinners be damned, at least let them heat to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. This sounds like a man that's compelled by the love of God. And the truth is, man, as preparing this message, I was convicted. I was convicted. I'm like, man. No matter, I mean, there, there's times I'm, I'm doing great at sharing the gospel constantly, and there's times I'm doing so-so. And I was just like, Lord. And, and I, I, to be honest, I started feeling a little bit like despair initially. Like, oh, man, I can't. I can do this. And then I started realizing, man, it's not about me doing it. It's about him doing it. Yes. There's a responsibility. Yes, we have to make ourselves available. Yes, we have to take the leaps of faith. And yes, it is the more that we know the word of God, the more confident we will be. But it's about an attitude of love towards the non-believer. Like I, 
I'm going to pray, Lord, as we drive home today, let us look at the faces of the people in the cars next to us and let us wonder if they know you. Let us see the people when we walk around Target or Walmart. Let us wonder where are they destined to spend eternity at this point? At work, at school, our friends, our family members. So application points. Number one, allow yourself to be convicted about how you fall short in this area. We can all grow here. This takes about us being intentional. Humble before the Lord. Ask yourself right now, am I functioning and living up to my role as an ambassador of Jesus? Am I constantly looking to share the message of reconciliation? Man, and if you're doing it, challenge the rest of us. Encourage the rest of us. Let's equip each other and and let's talk more about this. And number two is ask God for help. Let us be compelled by his love and motivated by the fear of the Lord. Literally pray about this. Every morning, pray about this every day. Ask the Lord, open doors for me to share the gospel and give me the boldness that I need to do it. We have the spirit of God living in us, the same spirit that made us born again and the same spirit that resurrected Jesus lives in us and will embolden you to share the gospel. Ask him for understanding. Ask him for clarity. And be blessed the fact that it's not up to us to save people, but we get to share in this. And number three, become acquainted with the gospel message. The message of reconciliation. Like I said, the more that you understand the good news of the gospel, the more confident you will be to share it. Study the work of Christ. Study the good news. It's a good tool. It is important for us to understand our own salvation. And like I said, even for me, the more that I study, the more I know God, the more I understand, understand the gospel, it leads me to want to worship him and live for him more. It gives me confidence to be able to stand before him as his child, unforg- as, as forgiven. It humbles me and it leads me to live a life of repentance.